All right, go and take a seat. Good to see you this lovely shady morning in the sunshine shade. And uh, we, we asked you the question, what is the church? Throw out some answers to me. Church is you. Church is you, us. We are the church, right? Yeah. All right, what else do we have? Every believer, whoever was and ever will be, is the church. So it extends beyond this group all over the world and actually back in time like to all who were in Jesus and are still in Jesus and then future who will come into this relationship with the Lord. Yeah, big scope there. Anybody else? What is the church? Body of yeah, the body of believers and the body of Christ. You know, so we're going to look at some of these things. We're going to keep looking at. There's many pictures that God has given us for his church, the bride of Christ, we, vine and branches. So we're going to look at some of those in this new message series that we're starting today, looking at the church. About the same time that uh, I kind of locked in on this new message series, uh, I got an email. We got an email. Uh, somebody uh, dropped off our mailing list, and uh, it happens time to time. And um, they left a note on the email, and it said this. Please take me off your mailing list. Uh, and then the question, how can a church with no walls have so many walls up? Yeah, there's a little, a little sting there. Ooh, how can a church with no walls have so many walls up? So, first observation was, ouch. Second observation was, hey, nice wordsmanship, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty clever. Like, yeah. Uh, with no walls, have walls up. Any walls up, many walls up. The walls that you have up, up. Uh, it's, a, it's a question. Uh, that's not actually really a question, is it? It's more of a statement, right? A uh, statement is, uh, communicating this person's belief, churches should not have many, maybe any, I don't know, I haven't had a conversation with this person, I did respond, we haven't had a follow-up. How can a, a churches should not have many or any walls up? So there's kind of this belief in that, and, and so it makes me ask, well, should a church have any walls up? And if it has any walls or limits or boundaries, what are those walls? Uh, and then that leads to some deeper, more fundamental questions, right? One, what is the church? What is the church? And then, more, most importantly, who decides? Who has the authority, the right, who's in the right position to tell us what the church is? And if it has any walls, and if so, what are those walls, etc.? All right, so that took me to the next question, which is where do we find these answers? Where do we look um, for, you know, so this takes me to the question of, well, what is the origin of the church? When did it begin? Let's, let's go there. And who started this thing in the first place? The church. And then what did they say about it? What do they say about it? And uh, we're going to look our, our source uh, we're going to go back to the earliest sources uh, that the church has and has preserved for us and is regarded as authoritative for the past 2,000 years. 
Um, we're going to look into the text, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, um, and look at this word church. All right? So the first mention, the first time you see church in the New Testament. Now, I'm, I'm going to start with the New Testament. There's a Hebrew word for church, um, but that's under the Old Covenant. And uh, we are now living under another age, under the New Covenant. So I'm focusing there. The first time we hear the church is from this guy named Jesus. All right. So during his earthly ministry in Israel, this public earthly ministry, about three and a half years, uh, the year was about 29, and uh, he mentions this word church. Let's go there and see what he says about the church. All right. So we're going back in the past to find out what the church is. Matthew 16 is where we're headed. Matthew 16, and we're in verse 3. It's in your bulletin. It's up here. And here we go. When Jesus came, so Jesus traveled along around Israel, proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and demonstrating that the kingdom of God had broken in, the rule and reign had broken in uh, by healing people, by uh, doing amazing things that only God could do. All right. So when he comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is really outside of Israel, the people of God, it's in Gentile territory. Uh, so he's out there a ways. And he asks his disciples, so these are guys that have attached themselves to Jesus. They believe certain things about him. Um, Jesus asks them a critical question. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the Son of Man, that's a way that Jesus repeatedly referred to himself. It's a messianic title. It comes from Daniel. So he's asking, what do people say? Who do people say that I am? All right, and the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, uh, maybe come back from the dead. Uh, others say Elijah, one of the prophets from old, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. All right, so people have different ideas about who Jesus is, different answers for this question. And all those guys that were mentioned by the people are humans, amazing humans, prophets uh, called by God to do certain things. And uh, so they're in this category people who are amazing and who are aligned with God. Then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Big question. The question. Who do you, Wes Cooley, say I am? Who do you, Chris, say I am? Who do you, Becky, say I am? Norm, who do you say I am? I am. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. All right, you are the Messiah. Now, let's unpack those a little bit. The Messiah, the promised one, the king, the Christ, the set apart one, the one that had been promised to the people of Israel who would come and bring the kingdom of God on earth. You are the divine son. You're the Son of God, this God-man that Psalm 2 and Isaiah 9 pointed to. You are Emmanuel, God with us, from Isaiah 7, 14. These prophecies pointing to the Messiah as this God-man who would come, bring his kingdom, and bring forgiveness of sins, bring healing, not just for Israel, but for all nations. So this is what Peter says, and Jesus replied. Let's see how he replies. Blessed are you, 
son, Simon, son of Jonah. So that's his original name, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, by humans, but by my Father in heaven, by God. So the truth about Jesus was revealed to Peter and is revealed to you and I today by whom? Ultimately, by God himself. He needs to open up our eyes to receive this truth that's been proclaimed, is being proclaimed, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. All right. So Peter got it right. Man, Peter doesn't always get it right, but he got it right here. All right, and Jesus continues, verse 18. He says, and I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter. So this word means, means rock, Petra. All right, Cephas in Aramaic, rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Quick side note, if you go to Caesar, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. We'll unpack that in a minute. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We'll look at that more carefully in a minute as well. But first, let's go back to verse 18. Jesus said, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, Listen to this. I will build my church. I will build my church. Who is the builder of the church? The people of God. The vine with the branches. The, the body of Christ. Who's the builder? Jesus is saying he is. I am the builder. To whom does the church of God belong? My church. Jesus says, my church. Jesus is the one who owns this church, to whom we belong. So who decides what the church is? Who's part of the church or not? If there's any walls or rules or limits or boundaries or not. Who's the boss of the church? Yes, Jesus is the boss. It's his idea. He started it. He's building it. It belongs to him. We who are in him, in the church, belong to him. All right. That's, that's big, right? All right. Okay. So we've, we want to hear in this message series what God says about the church, what Jesus says, what the word um, says about Jesus. I mean about the church. All right. Now, let's before we go farther, let's, let's unpack this word church. All right. That's a word that if you look in the Greek, it means ekklesia. That's the Greek word, ekklesia. Ek means out. Klesia comes from kaleo, which means called. Called out, called together. And it was just a generic word at the time for any assembly, any gathering. People were called together into these assemblies, these councils, and so forth. So that's, that's just what the word meant. But he's talking about his church, the church that he will build. All right? That's what we want to be focused on. So there's a lot of assemblies out there that you can join. Uh, there's a lot of groups of people called together out there that you can join. We're talking about the church that Jesus built that God is calling together. So first thing, what is the church? Today, big point, next fill-in, first fill-in. The people God has called, has called, hello, come, has called out of the world and to be his own. This is the church. 
those he has called. Ecclesia. People God has called out of the world to be his own. If God has called you to himself, then you belong to his church. If God is calling you this morning, he's calling you not only to himself, but he's calling you to be part of his church, his gathered ones, the ones that he is gathering together from out of the world into relationship with God. What is the church? That's our focus today. What is the church? Church guys, people God has called out of the world to be his own. What else? Well, let's go back to this interesting phrase, right? Jesus said, on this rock, this rock, picture of just a big rock, nice granity rock here. Let's put it over here. Um, this rock, what is this rock? What is this rock? And this, this has stirred a lot of debates over the generations, but this rock is at least this. It is this soul-saving truth that Peter had and announced in response to Jesus' question. It's the sole same truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. It's the truth of who Jesus is. Not what people say he is, not what you used to think he is, but who he is, who he has said he is, and who he truly is. Peter's the first one to grasp this revelation. So there's a word play with his name, Peter, which means rock. Uh, he's the first person to say this out loud. He's the first of many, many, many thousands of thousands upon thousands all over the world for the past 2,000 years who have come to this realization, come to this knowledge, received the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the King, the King of the kingdom of heaven, the Son of the living God, the unique Son of God. Fully God, fully man. All right. So... The next fill-in. The church of God is what? The church of God is those, those who know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So is, is everybody part of the church? Does everybody know and confess, acknowledge, believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? No. So is that a wall? Is that a is that a boundary? Is that, it's a distinction, right? Whether you are part of the church of God depends on what you believe about Jesus. Some people today, as a teacher, as a wise man, as a good guy. Interesting, I, you know, some stuff I like, some stuff I didn't like. So, you know, like other philosophers, I'll take a little here and there. That's not what Jesus said about himself. It's not... Jesus claimed to be God with us, God in the flesh, the one who has the authority to forgive sins, the one who was able to raise the dead, who could calm the storm, had authority over nature, the one who claimed to have authority over the law, over the Sabbath, the one who is the Son of Man, the Son of God. All right. That's an interesting question. What do people say about Jesus? The critical question is, what do you say? Who do you say I am? Peter the Rock spoke at first. This wasn't the end of Peter's little, we see more of Peter. He goes on from this, and he's the first one, when we move from after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit. He empowers the church to be his witnesses out in the world. Peter's the first one to step up and proclaim the good news about who Jesus is. 
publicly. Remember this? I've, I, I've come to this story a lot because it's so critical. It's in Acts chapter 2. Um, it's the beginning of the church. There's a big crowd in Jerusalem. Peter and the other disciples are there, probably about 120 of them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence powerfully fills them and dwells them. And they're able to praise God in different languages. It's a sign. It gathers the people in Jerusalem. They're asking, what's going on? Peter starts telling them about Jesus. This is the fulfillment of the promises in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. This is what we've been waiting for. And he proclaims the message about who Jesus is, what he did, and what he offers to them. And many in the crowd said, what do we do? What do we do? And what did Peter say? Acts 2.38. Anybody? Repent. Yeah, you've heard it a few times. Repent. Repent. Turn to God. Turn away from what you've been believing and been in and turn to God. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's powerful presence. This promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Come. Who's the church? What is the church? The church is those who have repented. Said, I'm, uh, you know what? This sin life, this thing where I'm my own boss, where, or I'm following this, it's not working. I'm going to turn from this to God I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to repent. And I'm going to be baptized. That's a step of obedience. Jesus said, be baptized. It's a sign. It's a symbol of, of being forgiven, of having received forgiveness of sins, being cleansed because of what Jesus did for me. And then I'm going to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. Those who have repented, been baptized, received forgiveness. Receiving forgiveness, what do you, to forgive, to receive forgiveness, you have to first acknowledge what? You're a sinner, man. You sin, right? You don't do what you're supposed to do. You don't do the good thing. You know the good thing. You don't always do the good things. It's hard to do the good thing sometimes, right? I need forgiveness. I need pardon from God who holds us all accountable for how we live our lives. Receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. All right, is that you? Is that you? I'm part of the church. Is that you? Have you repented, been baptized? Receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. If no, then you're not part of the church. It's not my wall. It's not my boundary. It's what, what God says. To have you been baptized? Uh, if not, why not? If, have you received forgiveness? Have you received the Holy Spirit? If you're unsure, let's talk. Let's talk it through. I've, I had people come alongside me when this was new to me and God was calling me to help me sift through these questions. And if yes... You've, you've, been repent, you've repented, been baptized, etc., then you are part of the assembly of God built by Jesus. You are in him. You are with him. All right, and let's go back to that next line. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. His church, his assembled ones, his people, the gates of Hades will not overcome you will not defeat you, will not win a victory against you. If you're part of Jesus' church, 
the gates of Hades have nothing on you. Gates of Hades, what's that? All right, let's look at that a little bit. Hades, all right, this is the place of the dead. Not all the dead, but the dead. The place where those who die in their sins, still in their sins, apart from Christ, separated from God, outside his church, that's where you go when you die physically. Not my words, Jesus' words. All right, you go to this holding place awaiting judgment. And if you're separated from Christ, if you haven't received his forgiveness, if you haven't bent the knee to him who is king, to hell. That's where that trajectory goes. In contrast, if you are in Christ, part of his church, his people, you are held by God right now. You are united to God right now. You are part of heaven on earth right now. You're part of his kingdom that extends from heaven to earth. He's going to hold you through physical death and bring you into eternal life with him forever. Actually, you already have eternal life with him now. It started if you're in Christ, and it will continue forever beyond death. So that's Hades. The gates, that's a word picture that they would understand better back then that refers to the strength, the strength of Hades, the strength of death. If you are in Christ, Hades can't touch you. Satan can't touch you. You are secure in God. Nothing can come against you that God doesn't allow to come against you. He has you. Now, unfortunately, this side of heaven, our physical body is still wearing down, right? We're still under that old curse of Adam. I went running this week. It was a little hot out. But I went running twice. And man... It kicked my butt. I was, I was not feeling good. I did not feel any runner's high, I'll tell you that. It was painful. Father time is overcoming me. He's beating me. If you're over 25 to 30, depending on who you're asking, Father time is starting to take ground from you. You're starting to lose that fight. All right? Now, if you're in Christ, your soul is untouchable. He cannot touch your soul, but your body is still under the curse, frustrated by decay, all right, because of the sin of Adam. So outwardly, we're wasting away, if you're over 25 or 30. If not yet, enjoy yourself. It's coming. Run hard. Run fast. Um, Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day because the Spirit of God in us, spiritual life flowing in us. We're being renewed. We are, and this is the next one. Next, Phil, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit. We are empowered. The church of God is empowered. Empowered. Empowered by the Spirit, Spirit of God, and, listen, more than that. We are empowered by this delegated authority, this delegated power from Jesus. It's pretty wild. We heard it in verse 19. Let's go back there again. Jesus is saying to Peter, who's the first one to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, uh, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The, king, the keys of the kingdom. This is delegated authority and power 
to open, to open, listen, this is wild, to open the kingdom of heaven to others. How do we do that? How do we use these keys that God has given his church to open the kingdom of heaven to others? How do we do that? What's our role in that? Telling people the good news. The gospel, the good news about Jesus, it's the power of God for the salvation for all who believe. All who hear the message and believe. We open the kingdom of heaven by proclaiming the good news message about Jesus. God wants to do that through you and me. Isn't that high honor, amazing, wow stuff? We get to do that. We get to be part of that. All right. Let's get on that. Wayne, let's get on that. Okay. Now, next part, binding and loosing. That's some more delegated power authority. That's probably a parallelism. That's a Hebrew way. You know, I've given you the keys. You have the power to bind and loose. Um, but it's, it seems to be more broad when we look at the other texts. So to bind, to loose, it's connected with the forgiveness of sins. In the name of Jesus, you can tell people they have been forgiven if they've turned to him, if they've received his sacrifice for the sins, for his, their sins. It's connected to setting people free from oppression, from darkness, demonic oppression. Uh, sometimes God brings physical healing to show that his kingdom is here and present. Um, words of revelation, words of wisdom, these things bind falsehood and what is not good, and it looses good things in the person's heart, in their life, in their mind. God does this by empowering you and me to speak his words of life. So, let's watch what we say. We have the, we have the power, the power of the word, we have the power to curse others, to tear them down, to condemn. And now in Jesus, we have spirit-filled words to give, to speak to loose people, to free people, to help set people who are oppressed free. We get to do this. And I tell you, man, this is fun. When, when God uses you just a little bit in some little you know, assignment that he has for you, he inspires you to speak one life-giving word. Um, he, he helps you share the gospel, the good news with somebody. You know, as we feebly attempt to do that. When, when you see God work, when you see God turn the keys, when you see people loosed from their sins, man, it is, it's thrilling. Like, wow, God, you used me in that little way. I want more of that. Let's do that some more. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's how a lot of us just got more and more involved in ministry is God uses a little bit in some little way. And uh, we're like, we want more of that. I'm ready, Lord. Use me. Work through me. That's what Jesus wants to do through his body, through his people, through his church, through those he has called to himself. That more. How do we become more useful to God? Uh, how do we allow him to work through us more closely? Well, for this, we're going to go to uh, Matthew 7. All right, backing up a bit. Matthew 7. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's teaching them what it looks like to be one of his followers, his people. And he says to them, hey, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who calls me Lord. Hey, Lord, Jesus, my Lord. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Is that a wall? Is that a gate? Is that a, I don't know. Yeah. Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, the day of reckoning, the day when we see Jesus face to face, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? So, man, remember that stuff we did? Jesus says, then I will tell them plainly. This is Jesus talking. I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Wow, Jesus, man. Jesus talking to his disciples. Let's look at a couple key points here, right? Because this is, this. you're reading the, the word of God, you're listening to Jesus, and wow, this stands out. First of all, it's not enough to say, Lord, Lord. Lord, I believe. Lord, you're awesome. To sing it or whatever. It's not enough to say that. Even if somehow, in some way, and I, I don't know if this is hyperbole or what, but even if they were able to do some signs and wonders, all right, in Jesus' name, rather, you, me, we all demonstrate that we truly believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Heaven, when we do what? When we do the will of God, when we obey. That actually demonstrates what we really believe. Do I believe you are good? Do I believe you are God? Do I believe your word brings life? Do I, do I believe you are my Savior? Do I believe? If so, I'm going to obey. Right? I'm going to do what he says. When I do what he says, I'm submitting my life under his rule and reign. I am truly living with him as my King and Lord. Not just saying it. Right? The test is in obedience. Now, you're not going to do that perfect. You're not going to get 100%. Nobody here has scored 100% on that. But with the Spirit of God in you, with the Word of God, supported by the people of God, we can take ground. We can move it from 50% to 60%. We can move obedience up to 70% to 75%, right? And when you do that, you are becoming useful to God. This is how God works in the world, when we are submitted to Him. Prime example is Jesus, right? When Jesus spoke, he was speaking the words of the Father. When Jesus did anything, he was doing the works of the Father. He is a human. He's divine and human, but he is a human fully submitted to God. That's our example. That's the target. It's a little target. Let's keep aiming to it, at it. If you want to be used by God, it comes through obedience. And it'll happen this week. God will give you something to do. It may be shut your mouth and listen. Right? Somebody's going at you. And that may be obedience. And that's powerful. You are allowing the power of God to move. You're allowing the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, to rule and reign in that place, in that conversation. It may be speaking a word of forgiveness, of life. Um, when you reach out, you know, some God gives you somebody to call this week, when you do it, you're submitting yourself to the Lord. God can work through that. You have an opportunity to go share the gospel. You, you know that God's been telling you, hey, contact Ving or Sally or Jonathan or Wayne or Creek. Go out there with them and share the gospel with people. If God's been you know, putting that on you, obey him. Let him work through you. It's pretty amazing and cool that he wants to work through us. All right, the church of God is, that's the last fill-in that we have, 
those who are obeying Jesus' words. It's not just saying it, it's obeying. All right. So, back to the original question. Has Jesus put up walls in his church? Are there walls? I'm going to answer this three ways. Yes, there are some who are truly in his church and those who are not. So that's, that's a wall. That's a distinguishing, right? Number two, yes, there are some walls. There are some limits. There are some boundaries. Jesus has clearly and repeatedly revealed to us what is obedience to him and what is disobedience. What is uh, righteousness doing the right thing and what is not doing the right thing. And we are those who have repented and when we sin, we don't stay in sin and keep sinning. We, we come to our senses and repent and get back on the narrow path that leads to life. We start to obey. So, yeah, there's some, there's some limits there. And no, and no, because Jesus' offer of salvation is for whom? Everyone, all people, everywhere. That's how we came in. You heard the gospel. You heard the good news message about Jesus at some point because it was being spoken out. God called you. He's continuing to do that. He's going to continue to do that until the number is complete and it's time for him to finish the job and return. All right. We covered a lot of ground there. Got a clear picture, hopefully, of what the church is, who decides what it is and what it isn't. And right, we're going to keep building on that in the weeks ahead. Today we're going to shift now to communion, which is kind of the beginning of the church, right? It, it is the beginning of the church. We're going to take communion together. And by doing this, we're remembering, by taking the bread and drinking the cup, we're remembering what Jesus did in order to make us right with God, to reconcile us to God, to open the gate of the kingdom of heaven. We need to we needed to receive cleansing, forgiveness of sins. And Jesus doesn't just sweep our sins under the carpet. He actually came and paid the punishment in full for you and me on the cross. So when we stand before God, we, we got a sign on us that says paid in full by Christ. All right? The debt is no longer outstanding. The punishment of God for your sins is no longer over your heads if you've received this sacrifice for your sins. So I want to invite you, um, if you're outside of the church today, um, but God's calling you, I want to, I'll invite you to take from the table, to receive the body of Christ broken for you for your sins to set you right with God. That can be the first step. To receive the cup, uh, which symbolizes his blood shed for us, um, to come into covenant with him. Uh, if you're already in Christ, let this be a time for us to examine ourselves, to just clean up, clean up our act a little bit. Sorry, Lord, man, I was, I was in that old sin again this week. Forgive me, Jesus. I need your cleansing. I need your, thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice for your sins, um, for my sins, Lord. Uh, and commit. Repentance is not just forgive me, it's committing to, now, Lord, I want to obey you. Strengthen me to do the right thing this week. All right, so let communion be that. So if you don't have a little cup and you want that, God's calling you to participate. Uh, Anne has them back there. Just signal her. And um, if you're unsure, that's cool. Just hang tight. Just watch. Just observe. If you have questions, please talk to me, the prayer team, 
uh, Ann, Wes, or Evan afterward, and uh, we'll, we'll sort out next steps. All right, so this is how it went down. On the night before Jesus was arrested and handed over to the Romans to be crucified, the night before he laid down his life on the cross for us, he was with his disciples. He was with Peter, John, James, the others. And during the Passover meal, which is full of all kinds of symbolism, but during this Passover meal, Jesus got up. He took bread. He gave thanks for it. He broke the bread. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. His body given for you and me. So let's take and receive that sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your body broken for us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And then he took the cup, the cup from the table. He gave thanks. He offered it to them. He said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, this new covenant, this commitment to you, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. He offers it to you. Receive it for the forgiveness of your sins. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your great loving sacrifice for us that puts us in right standing with God. You did it. We couldn't do it. You did it. We thank you. We receive that with gratitude, with humility. And Lord, by your spirit, I ask that you would strengthen us to obey you, to honor you, to do what pleases you, to say the words that give life, to do the things that you are calling us to do this week, to love well like you loved us, to sacrifice for others like you sacrificed for us, to be generous toward others like you have been amazingly generous toward us. And even, Lord, help us love our enemies, those who curse us, those who persecute us, Lord God, because that's what you did. We were your enemies when we were sinning, and you came and loved us. We thank you, God. Help us step into this strong love more and more. Amen. Let's stand and... If you want some prayer during this last song, I just invite you to come up. Uh, if you have questions, you're just wrestling with what God's saying, come up. The prayer team will be happy to pray for you.